Good morning and welcome to the United Health Group fourth quarter and full year 2023 earnings conference call. A question and answer session will follow United Health Group's prepared remarks. As a reminder, this call is being recorded. Here is some important introductory information. This call contains forward-looking statements under U.S. federal securities laws. These statements are subject to risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from historical experience or present expectations. A description of some of the risks and uncertainties can be found in the reports that we file with the Securities and Exchange Commission, including the cautionary statements included in our current and periodic filings. This call will also reference non-GAAP amounts. A reconciliation of non-GAAP to GAAP amounts is available on the Financial and Earnings Report section of the company's Investor Relations page at www.unitedhealthgroup.com. Information presented on this call contained in the, future, in the earnings release will be issued what we issued this morning in the, our Form K8K dated January 12, 2024, which may be accessed from the Investor Relations page of the company's website. I will now turn the conference over to the Chief Executive Officer of United Health Group, Andrew Witte. Thank you, and good morning and thank you all for joining us today. As we conclude 2023 and embark on a new year, I'd like to express my gratitude to our more than 400,000 talented colleagues who really are United Health Group. It's directly due to their tireless efforts over the past year that we expanded our opportunities to serve more people more comprehensively. As I reflect on our 2023 performance, certainly the shift in care activity among seniors was an important element for us to manage effectively, and the reduced Medicare Advantage funding outlook was a significant influence on how we prepared for 2024 and uh, all the way through to 2026. Despite the shift in care patterns and the commensurate pressure felt during 23, we've been able to both deliver on our growth commitments and invest and prepare for a reduced MA funding cycle over the next three years. Even considering these factors, 2023 marked a year of balanced, sustainable growth for United Health Group. Importantly, we also strengthened the foundations from which we will continue to grow in 2024 and beyond. To illustrate briefly, during 2023, Optum Health approached growth of 900,000 more patients under value-based care. United Healthcare added over 1.7 million new consumers in its Medicare and commercial offerings. Optum RX managed an additional 100 million prescriptions for people. Optum Financial handled more than $500 billion in consumer payer and care provider payments. And Optum Insight facilitated more than 23 billion electronic transactions. The increasingly impactful ways we can engage with patients, consumers, care providers, and customers resulted in revenue growth of over $47 billion and adjusted earnings per share growth of over 13% in 2023. Looking to 24, 25, and beyond, we will continue to drive quality, simplicity, affordability, and accessibility to help improve healthcare system-wide. And we remain confident in and committed to our long-term 13 to 16% adjusted earnings per share growth rate. Having held our investor conference just six weeks ago, I'll take only a few minutes this morning to recap what you should expect from us this year, starting with our work in value-based care. 
Value-based care for us is a proven way of overcoming many of the widely recognized shortcomings of a fee-for-service based health system, such as fragmented consumer experience and incentives that can emphasize volume over quality. Our value-based offerings empower physicians to provide more connected, coordinated, and comprehensive care, align incentives among consumers, care providers, and health plans, deliver better health outcomes, and improve costs. At the end of 2023, Optum Health served more than 4 million patients in fully accountable value-based arrangements in partnership with many dozens of health plans. By the end of this year, Optum Health will grow to serve at least another 750,000 patients under such arrangements, for a total of more than twice the number of people we served just two years ago. Yet, even with the strong growth and significant investments we've made, our market presence is still quite modest and the opportunity expansive. Four million patients served, just a small fraction of the many more people whose health ultimately will benefit from these models of care. And a total Optum Health revenue base, which today represents only 2% of the $5 trillion U.S. healthcare system spend. We have a considerable distance to go to achieve the broad, positive, system-wide impact for people's health we believe we can help drive. Turning to our consumer focus, we're working hard to help consumers more easily find, experience, and pay for healthcare, and that includes using their health benefits. One example of our progress can be seen in the results of United Healthcare's commercial benefits business. The most recently completed selling season was among our strongest in recent years. The majority of this growth will come from our relationships with large employers, among the most sophisticated buyers of health benefits. Our customers tell us we are focused on what their employees value most, lower cost, simpler experiences, and adaptable benefits that meet their unique needs and circumstances. And the consumer NPS for these new innovative products is some 20 plus points higher than traditional health plans. But we have more to do. Our goal is to become the trusted source for healthcare information and advice, a go-to marketplace for health services, payments, and benefits, all through a few simple taps on a consumer's phone. One of our larger consumer offerings is Medicare Advantage, which I'd like to touch on briefly. We're proud of our long track record of growth and of delivering for the people who choose our offerings. During the recently completed annual enrollment period, we added about 100,000 more consumers and we remain committed to our full year goal of 450 to 550,000. We believe our assumptions of ongoing care activity and approach to supplemental benefit management are entirely appropriate for the environment we are planning for and feel positive about our positioning for growth entering this three-year period. One additional item as we close out the year. To achieve our enterprise-wide long-term goals, we must consistently ensure best use of our resources, both time and capital, to enable us to serve people more effectively and deliver value for our shareholders. As you likely saw, we recently agreed to the sale of our Brazil operations, where our dedicated colleagues serve people with care and compassion. We highly value the relationships we've developed over more than a decade in Brazil. 
After carefully evaluating our best course, we ultimately determined a sale was the right step for the people we serve and for us to best focus our energies on the many compelling growth opportunities that we consistently discuss with you. And with that, I'll turn it over to Dirk McMahon, United Health Group's President and Chief Operating Officer. Dirk? Thanks, Andrew. Our growth is rooted in innovation and our intense desire always to do better. We're investing heavily in ways to accomplish that, increasing digital engagement and using AI to be more efficient, and then measuring our performance through net promoter scores to be sure we're hitting the mark. The impact of our digital engagement efforts was evident in our 1-1 performance metrics. As Andrew noted, we brought on one of our biggest cohorts of new people served via our commercial offerings, and our technology played an important role in making the process work well. Since last month, the UHC mobile app consistently ranked number one or number two in the Apple App Store medical category and on Google Play. Through the first week of the year, mobile app installs were up over more than 100% year over year, and our chat volume was more than twice our historical average. At OptumRx, digital investments enabled us to bring on a record number of new clients who brought with them more than 3 million new consumers, onboarded with improved customer service scores and at an overall cost 8% lower than last year. More consumers served, higher satisfaction, and lower costs. Our investments in AI and other advanced technology play an important role in improving customer service and productivity throughout the enterprise. For example, we are removing repetitive tasks from our workflows by using AI to help with tasks such as responses to consumer inquiries, updating provider directories, and summarizing interactions with customers and patients. This frees up our service staff and clinicians to focus on solving more complicated tasks for the people we serve. And recently, we launched a new capability where we use real-time admissions and discharge data to engage high-risk MA members immediately after an emergency department visit, connecting them to follow-up care to ensure higher quality post-admit outcomes and avoid readmissions. This rapid response driven by timely clinical data, has improved member engagement rates by over 300% and has an NPS of 83. NPS remains a vital way to measure how we're performing for our customers and consumers and how our digital initiatives and other efforts are impacting those measures and leading to improved retention. A couple of examples. Through digital optimization, we're providing consumers with on-demand access to care highly personalized benefits information, real-time support, and integrated pharmacy capabilities. This is translating into significant NPS improvements in many of our businesses. And we've removed friction from the system through expanded access to 24 by 7 virtual visits and United Healthcare's efforts to eliminate nearly 20% of prior authorizations. Throughout 24, you should expect to see an even greater investment in our digital capabilities as we continue to identify opportunities to leverage technology to reduce administrative costs, improve productivity, and further enhance the consumer experience at both Optum and United Healthcare. And now, 
I'll turn it over to John Rex, United Health Group's Chief Financial Officer. John? Thank you, Dirk. Our colleagues' ongoing focus on further expanding and strengthening the foundations which underpin our growth pillars is paving the way for consistent growth in 2024 and beyond. Revenue in 23 of $372 billion grew by over 14%, with double-digit growth at both Optum and United Healthcare. Fourth quarter, adjusted earnings per share of $6.16 grew 15% and brought full-year adjusted earnings per share to $25.12 growth of 13%. As Andrew noted earlier, at the end of December, we entered into an agreement to sell our Brazil operations and expect to close in the first half of this year. Upon closing, we expect to record a charge of approximately $7 billion, the majority of which is non-cash and largely due to foreign currency translation losses accumulated over several years. The impact of this one-time charge will be excluded from our 24 adjusted earnings per share measure. For your modeling purposes, the full year 24 outlook incorporated about $6 billion of revenue for Brazil, or about 1.5% of consolidated revenue. Before reviewing our business results, I'll offer some brief comments on care activity. Care patterns remain consistent with those we shared with you in the first half of 23. Activity levels continue to be led by outpatient care for seniors, with orthopedic and cardiac procedure categories among the more prominent. As we've noted, our benefit design approach assumed these activity levels persist throughout 24. And the care patterns we observed exiting 23 reconfirmed that decision. On the margin, we saw some modest late year seasonal activity, such as strong and welcome response from seniors to schedule physician visits to receive RSV vaccinations. In some cases, these were accompanied by additional necessary care being obtained, especially for people that had not seen a physician in some time, a positive outcome for people's health. In some, though, as we reflect on full year 23 results, overall care activity was broadly in line with the views we've shared earlier. And as we enter 24, we're confident in the response of pricing and benefit design actions we undertook, with care patterns continuing to be supportive of our care ratio outlook of 84% plus or minus 50 basis points. Turning to the performance of our businesses in 23, Optum Health's revenues grew by 34% to over $95 billion as we increased the number of patients served under value-based care arrangements by about 900,000 to more than 4.1 million, expanded services in the home, and broadened and deepened the levels and types of care we offer. Optum Insights revenues grew 30% to $18.9 billion. We concluded the year with a revenue backlog of $32.1 billion, an increase of $2.1 billion over last year. This growth was driven by our diverse and expanding product portfolio, which connects many of the key stakeholders across healthcare. Whether it's launching new decision support solutions for providers, claims editing software for payers, or simplifying the payment process for all, our continued investments are fostering the next phase of Optum Insight growth. OptumRx revenues grew 16% to over $116 billion, driven by the continued addition of new clients, 
expansion within existing relationships, and organic growth of our pharmacy services businesses. In 2023, both customer retention and new wins were among the best OptumRx has delivered. At United Healthcare, full year revenues of over 281 billion grew nearly 13%. Adding to Andrew's earlier comments, Within Medicare Advantage, we expect a majority of our full-year growth outlook to be realized outside the annual enrollment period, with the growth patterns consistent with those we have experienced over more recent years. Our Medicaid enrollment outlook for 2024 balances two key elements. First is that state redetermination activities will be largely completed by mid-year, and second, that growth within existing states, such as North Carolina and other new opportunities, will partially offset these impacts. Within our domestic commercial offerings, we expect to serve about 1.5 million additional people in 24, a strong result. And we are encouraged by the continued positive customer response we are experiencing as we look ahead. Our ample capital capacities continue to underpin our long-term growth objectives. Cash flow from operations in 23 was $29 billion, or 1.3 times net income. We returned nearly $15 billion to shareholders through share repurchase and dividends, and deployed over $10 billion in growth capital to build for the future. To summarize, our 23 performance and start to the new year further solidifies and reinforces our confidence in both the 24 and long-term growth objectives we shared with you at the end of November. Now I'll turn it back to Andrew. Thanks, John, and thank you, Dirk. Heading into 2024, I hope you all sense our confidence. We have talented people who are committed to our effort to help build a simpler, more consumer-friendly health system for the people we serve. And we're well-positioned to continue to deliver on the well-established commitments we've made. Operator, let's open it up for questions. Thank you. The floor is now open for questions. At this time, if you have a question or comment, please press star 1 on your touchtone phone. You may remove yourself from the queue by pressing star 2 on your touchtone phone. We ask you limit yourself to one question. If you ask multiple questions, we will only be answering the first question so we can respond to everyone in the queue this morning. We'll go first to Justin Lake with Wolf Research. Thanks. Good morning. Wanted to uh, touch on the uh, on the cost trend commentary specifically. You know, between the investor day and the end of the year, looks like the MLR is a little bit higher. Can you tell us what uh, what you saw there over that last month? Maybe give us some color, John. I know you guys did a great job in the second quarter of getting ahead of cost trend and utilizing some of those uh, facility uh, facility kind of insights that you have on scheduling, etc. You know, we're trying to figure out whether this is just seasonality or a, you know, a further pickup in utilization given the Q3 to Q4 that you saw. So maybe you could tell us what you saw, you know, seeing it to January. And just tell us where you think the Q1 comes in versus the, uh, the full year. Thanks. Hey, Justin. Uh, thanks so much for the question. Uh, let me just make a couple of comments. I'm going to ask John Rex to give you a little bit more detail on, on, uh, on the area you just talked about. 
So, you know, I think overall, as we look at 23, overall it came in, you know, very much in uh, the sort of zone we expected, you know, toward the top end of that zone, but very much within the zone of uh, what we were expecting for the full year. And we signaled back in the middle of the year. And the bulk of that story is driven by the outpatient shift in behavior around seniors that we talked about back in June. Uh, You're right, though, uh, post the investor uh, conference, what we certainly saw was a a click up in some, you know, seasonal activity, each of which individually are kind of, you know, pretty small, but added together just made a bit of a difference in that last run out of the quarter around things like RSV uh, vaccination, which which has uh, brought with it, dragged with it, if you will, some extra uh, utilization of services from seniors who've come in for their vaccine. Listen, to be clear, all of that is good news for healthcare, right? So these are seniors, many of whom had not been to the office for a long time. They've come back in and now got vaccinated. The physicians have picked up other things while they've been there. So a little bit of that going on, combined with a little bit of heightened COVID activity just as we rolled out of the year, um, none of which we, we really think is durably impacting uh, our outlook for 24. So we feel very solid around our 24 uh, guidance point of 84 uh, plus or minus 50 bips. Uh, maybe I ask John just to give you a little bit more click down kind of insight into, into all of that. Then. Go ahead, John. Yeah, good morning, Justin. You're absolutely right. So the prime factor here, when we think about the full year view and where we ended up being, what we talked about much earlier in the year in terms of the uh, outpatient care activity among senior populations. And that continuing consistent with what we saw back much earlier in the year and very supportive of what we staked out in terms of the benefit design that we stepped into 24 with, uh, in particular for uh, senior populations and our Medicare Advantage products. So all those elements very much supportive of that, of, of that view and the, and the activities we into, undertook earlier in the year. Um, as it relates to kind of where we, where we landed the full year, so 10 basis points really above kind of what we indicated at the investor conference back in November of, of differential. And Andrew hit on those items. Let me just kind of take it a little bit uh, deep here. So definitely um, some typical seasonality involved in there. And the uh, incremental elements were, um, I point out a couple of items. Uh, seniors did really respond strongly to RSV vaccinations and, and scheduled physician visits. Um, Sometimes those physician visits, what we noted, were driving other care activity uh, around that. So in some cases, seniors that hadn't perhaps been to a physician in a little while. And so they visited their PCP, got an RSV vaccine. um, And then in the meantime, their PCPs were able to close some additional care gaps as they were there, which is a great thing because some of these seniors hadn't been in for a while. So important activity to occur there uh, in the fourth quarter. So that was one of the elements that we, would, that we saw there. Um, as it relates to kind of what we were seeing um, with uh, elevated care costs for COVID, uh, what we saw in the, in the fourth quarter, and in particular in December, overall what we've been noticing is that COVID admits uh, for inpatient states are running a higher cost Per case than we than we traditionally saw. And that actually kind of makes some sense. They're more intense uh, 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 cases typically that are going to inpatient stay. I will say we did notice in December um, that the total lo- level of COVID admits uh, were probably 50 to 60 percent above the October November average that we had seen. So that was kind of the highest part of the year in terms of COVID inpatient admits. If I take those elements in, in sum together, that, that more than accounts for the 10 basis points differential in, in our full year view, Justin. 
Um, as that pertains to your second question, as, as we look out into the uh, next year and, and what we see in terms of patterns, um, I would call it, uh, you know, patterns commensurate kind of with what we saw this year in terms of just the, the movement um, with this kind of 84% view that we view for the, 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 for the, for the full year. Um, as I step back and reflect and just kind of thinking about where uh, broadly where, um, where the analyst consensus is, you, you, you picked particularly the 1Q, it's kind of in the right, it looks like an appropriate zone in terms of staked out there for, for what one would expect. So thank you, Justin. Yeah, John, thank you. And Justin, thanks for the question. Appreciate that. Uh, next question, please, operator. We'll go next to Josh Raskin with Nephron Research. Hi, thanks. Um, can you describe the competitive environment for Medicare Advantage? And I'm specifically thinking about how you've adjusted benefits in 2024 as part of a three-year process. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you're trying to adjust for the majority of the risk model changes in one fell swoop. And I'm curious how you think that plays out and positions you not just for 24, but then for 25 and 26 as well. Hey, Josh, thank you so much. Um, and before I ask Tim Knoll to give you uh, more, more detail on your question, I mean, listen, I think, I think uh, you know, the way we've looked at the shift in the rate notice is, is, it is a three-year set of adjustments, and uh, that's why we've been very thoughtful about how we've planned, not, not just, frankly, benefit design, but how we continue to accelerate our management of OPEX uh, through the organization, how we've continued to focus on um, eliminating unnecessary care and waste within the system through our, our various uh, medical management capabilities. So it's really a three-pronged set of agendas uh, which we're going to be uh, focused on over the next uh, three years. Uh, and we've, we've been very, very thoughtful about making sure that we are uh, setting those tables in a way which uh, we can be sustainable on through this cycle so that we're not taking sharp left turns or right turns halfway through the period. Uh, with that kind of kind of uh, overall perspective, maybe ask Tim to give you a little bit more deep dive on the competitive environment and how he's, how he's very specifically planning for this. Yeah, thanks, Josh, for the question. <clears throat> so, yeah, I agree with uh, Andrew's comments, and a couple things to start with is um, – there's been a number of you know, changes to the Medicare Advantage and Part D programs over the last 18 months to, to two years that are really phasing in um, over multiple years. Um, and as we plan for 2024, we once again took a very rational view um, to the environment and also a long-term view with always our overarching goal being benefit stability um, for our members. Um, as we stepped into uh, um, as we step into benefit planning um, in future years, we really feel like we have got a very thoughtful way to respond to all of those changes um, that will um, be encountered by the Medicare Advantage and Part D programs um, into 2025 20, uh, and beyond. Um, and certainly, as we look forward, we don't believe that we have um, any material pricing catch-up to do um, in future periods, and feel like we've got a very thoughtful response to the changes that um, will be encountered by the program into 2025 and 2026. Um, so we think the forward view of our competitive outlook um, is quite solid and quite strong um, as we think about growth over the long term. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, next question, please, operator. We'll go next to A.J. Rice with UBS. Uh, hi, everybody. Um, just, I apologize, it's sort of granular, but uh, we're getting asked a lot of questions about it. 
the two metrics, days claims payable down a couple days uh, year to year sequentially, uh, some from third quarter, and then um, the prior pe period development being down $100 million, uh, maybe accounts for some of the variance on uh, MLR, I'm guessing. Uh, I don't know if that's what you were guiding for when you updated last updated your outlook, but uh, any comment on that as well? Uh, let me let me ask John to address that, AJ. Thank you. Yeah, good morning, AJ. So first on the day's claims payable, so 2.8-day uh, sequential decline, two days year over year. So yeah, primarily the single largest factor would be exactly what you pointed to, the, the change in prior period development. So that has a, a significant impact if you look about the year ago where we were in prior period development and where we were even in the 3Q. So the significant impact on, on that part, that would be the, other, the, the, the main factor. In terms of other contributing factors that we saw, um, we did see in the, in the fourth quarter some modest acceleration in provider claim submission timing. So just uh, speed up in terms of those, those submissions. Um, how quickly we're receiving them from data service in, in, in terms of receipt. Um, we also saw sub, uh, noted that as it, as it related to the, four, or is it to the fourth quarter, some higher uh, claims intensity in the first part of the quarter, particularly October. So that's a factor that uh, impacts the denominator, MedEx per day, in the day's claims payable metric. Um, and that was a piece that was in that also. Um, as it relates to uh, the $100 million of unfavorable medical development in the quarter, uh, put that mostly at the items that we were talking about in, the, in my response to Justin's question. So uh, the, uh, uh, the respiratory-related activity that we saw in there, the, the uh, modestly higher cost per case uh, for inpatient COVID admits, Really, kind of those were the, the the main factors that we that we had in there in terms of contributing to the unfavorable development. Yeah. Thank you. No, it's a good question, AJ. And uh, you know, as John just said, even even back in the sort of second half of Q3, uh, we saw we've seen subsequently that this RSV pickup and this phenomena of more services being delivered around the vaccination was already starting as we were rolling out through Q3, which is really what explains that. So. So in many ways, this kind of Q3 issue, uh, kind of Q3 issue of uh, negative development, and then this slight pressure at the end of the year, it's kind of the same story, and, it all, and, it, and uh, which is why we don't we don't feel it has any real direct relevance in terms of thinking through uh, 2024. Uh, thanks for the question, though. Appreciate that. And uh, next question, please, operator. We'll go next to Lisa Gill with J.P. Morgan. Thanks very much. Good morning. Um, I want to go to Optum Health and just maybe talk about the medical cost trend there. Um, John, just going specifically to the comments that you made, did you see something similar in Optum Health? Or are we seeing anything different there? And then also, I just want to understand the, cla the claim lag there. We've heard from some others that, you know, there can be a pretty big claim lag when we think about, you know, the providers versus the payers. So let me ask John to start, and then maybe ask Heather to make a couple of comments on uh, the claim dynamic. Uh, go ahead, John. Um, yes, Lisa. So, so definitely kind of seeing seniors obtaining RSV uh, vaccinations and um, kind of some of the respiratory activity that was going on in, in the quarter. So some broadly similar features. For Optum Health, one of the comments that we've made throughout the year, though, also has to do with the progression here of taking on a large block of, of new membership. So we took on about 900,000 new members as we started the year. And one of the comments we've made throughout the year is um, engaging with these members. Because the most 
important thing we need to do is have a clinical engagement with these members in terms of start improving their health outcomes, getting them in to see uh, physicians, having our clinicians interacting, uh, having, uh, interacting with them. And it's a comment we've made throughout the years. We've seen the, the uh, optimum health margin progression. So one of the you know, great things, we probably started the year kind of roughly a 20% engagement level with that, new hun- that uh, 900,000 member block. We exit the year having engaged with about 80% of these members. Super important factor as we think about optimum health, as we think about 2024 and, how, uh, and that progression. And that's been a big focus of the team at Often Help all year long of getting that engagement in um, so we can have impact on their health. And, but far and away, that's the, the, especially given what this population is like, they typically have complex needs, that's important. Another really important market um, as it relates to the new membership that, uh, patients that we're bringing in to Optum Health uh, for 2024, again, so I, I talked about that 20% engagement level we started 23 with. For 2024, we're going to start at a 50% engagement level with that new membership. So we're making advances in that, and that's exactly what you should expect from, um, from the team. They've, they're, they're, their efforts have been, uh, have been really, really strong. Great. Thanks, John. Uh, maybe, Heather, you could comment on Lisa's question around clinics. And then I'd, I'd like to ask Alma also to follow up on your perspective on engagement and what's driving that. Please, go ahead, Heather. Sure. So the only thing, the thing I would add, too, so appreciate on, on top of John's point, when you think about engaging that, that the patient early, then, you know, it's really in the clinician's hands. And I think about the, the way we think of our, our clinicians is that importance to your point about visibility then to kind of action. And the way we think about our clinicians is once we get that engagement, and as John said, early engagement is so important, then our clinicians having the tools, and I think, you know, we've been, what's really essential for us is those 130,000 clinicians having visibility early, what to do next. And the first thing is that they've got, you know, the technology, they've got solutions around them, they've got referral management practices that they can engage with high-quality specialists when they need to, for outpatient, um, uh, for outpatient procedures, and then that they've got the supports in behavioral health and the home and community-based uh, home and community services that we've been investing heavily in over the last year. Um, and then the last thing I would point to is the contract protections that we've been focused on with our payers to be sure that the structures are in place so that our clinicians can practice in a responsible way. They have got visibility into the dynamics that are happening with the patients and then they've got the supports in place um, with the payers. Alma? Yeah, thanks for that question. Look, I, I think I'd uh, reiterate the point around our highest risk complex members where we're engaging at a two times higher rate than the same time last year. Uh, and within engagement and our clinical programs, I, I, I'd focus around referral management and high-value evidence-based medicine programs, including our optimal care program, where a majority of our clinicians are engaged with these evidence-based programs, are able to get patients the care, uh, the care that they need, and importantly, uh, get the support with the provision of wraparound services, including specifically home-based services, so that the highest-risk groups have their care connected from the primary care sitting into the home. Thanks for the question. Alma, thanks. And John, maybe just to tie up the whole question. Yeah, and Lisa, tying up just on the last part of your question here regarding uh, uh, visibility into care activity claims like started. No, we don't, that's not a, a factor. Um, just given the model of uh, Amar's business and, and how those groups run, um, we, frankly, it's, it's one of the areas where we get probably early sensing mechanisms 
in terms of the care activity that's going on. Is one of the early sensing mechanisms from uh, much earlier in the year when we were able to, to talk about what we were seeing in these senior populations and their uh, the care activity within these uh, orthopedic and other procedures. So that that's not a factor. In fact, if anything, it's it's probably a strength of the organization. Yeah, thanks, John. And uh, Lisa, uh, thanks so much for the question. And we obviously just spent a couple of minutes there talking about engagement and. And I hope that gave you a strong sense of uh, some of the progress we've made over the last 12 months in this area. I would say we're night and day in a different position today than we were a year ago in terms of our ability to be engaged with these complex, complex patients, making sure our physicians are ready to go. Uh, that's a really important aspect of what's building our confidence for 2024. And uh, I make no apology for just spending a couple more minutes uh, making sure you hear some of the great work that's gone on over the last year to ensure that we've got these very high levels of engagement and real substance behind that engagement so that the, these patients uh, will be supported and managed really positively going through 24. That's what then underpins and unlocks the whole opportunity of value-based care for Optum Health. Uh, Lisa, thank you for your question, and I will uh, move on to the next question. We'll go next to Stephen Baxter with Wells Fargo. Yeah, hi. Thank you. Um, I was hoping you could talk a little about what you're seeing for cost performance in the group commercial or exchange or Medicaid businesses. If you step back, um, is this still appropriate to attribute, you know, all the pressure really you've seen in 2023 to seniors, or should we be mindful of anything else there? Thank you. Uh, Stephen, thanks so much. Maybe ask Brian just to give you a, a kind of overarching summary of what UHC is seeing in its different books of business. Brian. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks, Stephen, for the question. I think I'll just lead with I feel really good not only about how we finished the year in United Healthcare 2023, growth at the top end of our ranges, performance, run-in positions across the board, but also as we step into the businesses for 2024, feel very good about the key assumptions that underpin our plan and very optimistic. And you mentioned a couple of areas. You're right. As we've discussed some of these elements with respect to cost trend, they are centered in our senior community. And I think the message around those other businesses, nothing to see here and really aligned with our expectations. Some good stability and durability in the underlying elements, both utilization and unit cost of our trend outlook. And obviously feel very confident in how we're showing up competitively when you look at our growth outlook. So very optimistic about United Healthcare durability in those other lines that you're suggesting and uh, a lot to look forward to here in the year. Right. Thanks, Brian. Next question, please. We'll go next to Lance Wilkes with Bernstein. Great. Thanks. Um, can you talk a little bit about OptumRx, the drivers of growth in the quarter, in particular top, top line, and then if you could comment a little on revenue per Rx, and do you have any programs that either in the fourth quarter or in 24 that you've been rolling out that are capturing some of the um, increased demand on topics like GLP-1s that might be contributors to some of the strong performance. Thanks. Hey, Lance, thanks so much for the question. Uh, before I ask Patrick to uh, to start the response uh, uh, on OptumRx, I, you know, first off, I just want to note a super strong selling year for us um, in OptumRx, probably our best ever, extraordinary, and across a wide range of categories, plans, public service, states, um, as well as obviously commercial, and uh, it really, really pleased with the differentiated product offering, really built on transparency, choice, and of course cost. And so, you know, we, we feel we, we've uh, built a strong momentum in 23, rolling into 24. Patrick, you may want to go a little deeper, maybe share a little detail on weight engaged, specifically around the question that Lance raised around uh, GLPs. Yeah, thanks, Lance, for the question. So, uh, as Andrew said, uh, really diverse growth. Um, 
both new business and high retention rates, so one of our best-selling years ever. I'd also call out the pharmacy services expansion, the organic growth there across the diverse set of pharmacy services, uh, cost management, and then last, as you mentioned, new products and services. Just to call out one, weight engage, so comprehensive management, medication, provider support, client support, lifestyle modification, digital, so a comprehensive solution across Optum, not just Optum RX, partnering with Optum Health and Optum Insights, uh, already live with clients and robust interest in the marketplace because uh, patients, members, employers uh, want comprehensive solutions to demonstrate better health outcomes at lower total cost of care. Thanks so much, Patrick. And Lance, thanks for the question. Next question, please. We'll go next to Kevin Fishbeck with Bank of America. Great, thanks. Um, I guess I'm still just struggling with the concept of 2023 coming in worse, but this having no impact on the 2024 outlook. I mean, are you you saying that the incremental pressure is really just like flu, RSE, and therefore unlikely to replicate at these levels next year? Because the negative development speaks to costs earlier in the year also coming in worse, which implies that the baseline is, the core baseline is also higher. So can you just help me reconcile, you know, why this isn't raising the base for next year. And I guess within that, you may feel comfortable with the with the guidance range for MLR, but is there a reason to be at the higher end of the range to start the year or is the midpoint still where you're orienting? Thanks. Uh, so I'll ask John to go a little uh, deeper. Obviously, obviously as, as you know, Kevin, we've we've set a uh, an MLR target next year, which is in fact higher than the actual closeout for this year in any case. Uh, which takes into consideration some of that kind of elevation, you know, which we've seen throughout the year. So I'm going to call it the core elevation associated with the uh, outpatient senior behaviors that we've we've been talking about now for several quarters. Uh, and then as as we've we've talked a little bit already, this uh, end of Q4 type of uh, se- small seasonal- seasonality uh, variation, we we don't think is really uh, durable or relevant to the rest of the year. But John, John, maybe go a little deeper uh, on that. Sure. Uh, good morning, Kevin. So yes, the, so the elements that contributed to the uh, unfavorable development being around respiratory activity. Uh, that was going on as, as, as seniors came in to get vaccines and other care was being delivered and such. And that higher uh, inpatient cost per case for the COVID admits that we were seeing. So those would largely be the, the prime contributors of, of the elements that we are seeing here in terms of the, that unfavorable element. So you're actually correct in your assumption. That doesn't impact our run-in assumption as we think about our our outlook for 2024 in which um, so keeps us uh, right squarely in where we thought we'd be as we were at our uh, investor conference and staking out the 84% plus minus 50 basis points. Really, as we look across the scope of our businesses and we think reflect on how we performed in 20, in, in 23, um, the scope of it being very much was what we saw back in mid-year of, of 2023, that this is the, the uh, run-in factors are about outpatient care activity among senior populations, which we incorporate into our bids. The elements um, that you're appropriately referring to in, in 4Q, again, not factors impacting our view at all in terms of how we staked out 24 and how we expect to uh, perform in 24. Yeah. So really good good question. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'd also just add, I mean, you know, we, as you would fully expect, uh, Kevin, you know, we're reviewing the leading indicators 
of care activity, you know, frankly, daily, weekly, monthly, um, and have been uh, all year. And, and we've also been investing significantly in increasing numbers of early warning signals, if I can put it that way, to strengthen our radar capability to see this. And, you know, I can tell you, we're, we're really not seeing any deviation from what we've been telling you all year in terms of the core activities across the system. Um, these seasonal uh, bumps at the end of the year, uh, you know, obviously uh, a little different, but but in terms of outpatient utilizations, all of those uh, lines of activity that we've been discussing at different times with you, uh, the patterns there, you know, very supportive of, of how we've uh, stepped out for 24. Um, thanks for the question. Next, next question, please. We'll go next to Scott Fidel with Stevens. Uh, hi, thanks. Um was hoping to just uh, hop back over to, uh, to Optum Health for a second. Um, and just as it relates, one, to the, the margin targets that you gave us at Investor Day for the 7.78%, just want to see if those are still the appropriate targets uh, for 2024. And then maybe if we could walk through the, uh, the sort of pacing exercise with OH margins, um, you know, given the expected step up from the exit rate in the fourth quarter, uh, you know, how you think about those OH margins for one Q and then sort of pacing over the course of the year. Thanks. Uh, Scott, thanks so much for the question. I'm going to ask Dr. Desai to make a couple of comments, and then, and then I'm going to loop back to John just to talk through some of the phasing of the year around margin on that. But bottom, bottom line, no change in our guidance for Optum Health. We feel good about where we've staked out for Optum Health next year. Uh, you know, a ton of uh, work done during 2023 to uh, strengthen uh, the business. You, you saw that beginning to show through as we roll through the second half. We continue to expect that to be a very strong driver of improvement as we go into uh, 2024. A lot of that work we talked about already today around engagement is a key element of our confidence in being able to build our uh, profile of that business and, and uh, Arma, maybe you could go a little deeper and then John can close out with discussing on the uh, progression. Hey, thanks for the question, Scott. Uh, we're confident in our 7.78.0% target for 2024. Uh, we've discussed engagement in detail. Uh, the second important piece uh, is our medical management programs, which we've uh, scaled effectively. I talked a little bit about optimal care and evidence-based guidelines, what I would reiterate is the work we're doing across our network with payment integrity, again, with the idea of being able to provide the right support services across our network. Uh, the last piece I would also hit on is our initiatives around OPEX, which have been progressing well and are on track. We've driven operating efficiencies and GNA discipline across the organization, and it really with uh, focus on more consistency in our systems and unification of our operating plat platform. So we feel very good about the 7.78.0% as we go into 24. Right. Thanks so much, Amar. Uh, John? Yeah, Scott, uh, good morning. So uh, as Amar said, yes, I feel, uh, feel very good about where uh, we established our margin objectives for, for 2024. Um, the elements super important here is again how these new patient cohorts progress as they as they come into our business and we're able to engage with them clinically and improve their health outcomes, make sure we're able to close care gaps, and the uh, the, the progress that uh, Amar and teams uh, accomplished during 2023 in terms of getting those engagement levels will um, will will assist a lot in terms of uh, the health of the people that we're serving here and then the particularly this cohort from uh, 2023, the 900,000 new uh, patients that we're able to serve and how, 
how um, that business uh, how that business uh, performs over the course of the year. So that's a big step into it. Um, another big step into it is that this uh, group of 750,000 uh, new uh, patients that came on to the business. The fact that we were able to get uh, engagement levels significantly higher than we were at last year with the new cohort will help also. So it gives us a lot of confidence in where we're stepping out in terms of uh, serving these people uh, throughout the course of the, the, the coming year. In terms of your, your uh, comment, um, you'd expect um, typical then seasonality factors to weigh in to the, how, the quarter, how the quarters perform. So, so much, much more think about that as seasonality factors that are probably having impact here. Um, so typical in terms of uh, seasonal factors that we would have experienced this year, starting uh, with a with a stronger base that sets us up well to uh, to uh, to reach our targets. Right. Thanks, Joe. Uh, next question. We'll go next to Aaron Wright with Morgan Stanley. Great. Thanks so much for taking my question. So a question on OptumRx. Over the past year, there's been some evolving dynamics around in news flow around the regulatory changes for PBMs, unbundling. There was some news flow there as well as pharmacy reimbursement model changes such as cost plus type of approach. I guess how are you thinking about the potential implications of some of these dynamics, if any at all, and, and, and do these Dynamics have a material impact on OptumRx, or how are you thinking about those profit drivers remaining intact kind of going forward for the PBM? Thanks. Um, Aaron, thanks so much for the question. Let me ask Heather to uh, give you some comments there. As you know, Heather's been very, very involved um, uh, with the various um, legislative processes, and it'd uh, be good to get her perspective on that. Sure, thanks. So maybe just, just quickly I'll say, um, you know, completely respectful of, the evolving dynamic and 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 just make the headline that you know our our business is incredibly dynamic you know i'd be remiss if i don't say you know again at this juncture that we continue to engage because it's incredibly important to note that you know in a space where affordable drugs affordable prescription drugs that consumers is on everybody's mind including ours and that's what the pbm is built to do you know, we are really pressing to make sure that policymakers understand that it's important to preserve choice for clients. Um, it's important to make sure that we in, in that we preserve value-based structures because we know that value-based is the way to um, ensure that you know we deliver lower price, uh, lower cost drugs, and we can't break that that uh, alignment of incentives where PBMs work with payers to reduce costs. And that, you know, it is incredibly important that, you know, discounts remain because there's, there's no indication that rebates drive list, costs, list, list prices up. The PBMs work as a counterweight to, against, uh, uh, against high drug costs. That being said, you've seen in our model how diverse the business is. And across OptumRx, across the PBM, across the pharmacy services, it's a multitude of businesses. And we really listen to our clients. We exist on, on behalf of our clients, and we compete in a highly competitive market. And we win because our model translates. It translates in transparency, it translates in innovation, and it translates in partnership to our clients. So we'll follow the client. We'll be incredibly respectful of the legislation. But I feel really good that we act quickly, we act responsibly, and we work towards value. And you see that in the results. You see that in the growth. But most importantly, you see that in the client validation of the model. So. I feel good about where we're positioned. I feel good about um, the experience in 2023 as a guide to that, 
but feel really confident in the growth in 24. Heather, thanks so much. And Aaron, thanks very much for the question. You know, I'm sure there'll continue to be debate around this area. High drug costs, of course, is is a big issue for everybody. First and foremost, we need to see list prices come down. That's the most important thing that can make a big difference here. I would say that, you know, as you look at all the different ideas which float up from time to time around reform in this area, there really isn't anything that we don't offer in some form or fashion to our clients and our customers. And the reality is we think that's the right position. We think we should be offering a portfolio of different tools, different product designs, which allows people to choose what's right for them. Because what a state wants, what a union wants, what a corporation wants differs. And it's super important that their views are taken into account here. We believe we do that well in the diversity of our product offering. And that's what's underpinning our record growth. And it underpins our confidence for 24. Uh, Appreciate that, Aaron. Next question. We'll go next to Nathan Rich with Goldman Sachs. Great. Uh, good morning. Thanks for the question. Um, I wanted to ask on the um, Medicare AEP enrollment uh, that you talked about, the, the 100,000 lives that, that you added. I guess, were there any differences in terms of you know, what consumers responded to the, this year or differences in the retention rate relative to what you're expecting? And just, you know, um, can you help us think about the drivers of membership growth over the year, you, you know, as you, um, you know, needed to, to get to the guidance that you gave for the full year? Yeah, Nathan, thanks so much for the question. Let me ask Tim Noll to give you that. Yeah, um, thanks for the question, Nathan. So, you know, once again, the um, Medicare environment, selling environment is is highly competitive, and we probably saw one of the more aggressive years of pricing that, that we've ever seen um, in the 2024 um, session. Um, we guided at Investor Conference to growth of 450 to 550,000 lives, um, which is a little bit more modest um, than we have grown in past years, but it's reflective of our response to the new risk model changes, what we saw in outpatient utilization patterns early in 23 and reflecting that into 2024 pricing. Um, and as we close out AEP, um, I would say that we were um, a little bit light against what we were thinking kind of end of November. Um, most of that actually in the group business, um, some of the very aggressive benefits, a little bit more switching, drove some of our um, term rates a bit higher um, in AEP than we were initially thinking. Um, but we still um, feel like we're going to have a much heavier weighting of our growth outside of the annual enrollment period from February to December. Um, and this is really just a continuation of a trend that we have seen play out um, over the last five years, um, really. And in fact, last year, um, we drove 430,000 lives of growth, or about 60% of our total growth in the period from fe- February to December. Um, This is a a portion of the selling season that we really do well in, given our large dual footprint and also um, the fact that some of the selling in AEP tends to be focused on some of those headline benefits that have been really aggressively positioned. Um, And throughout the remainder of the year, there tends to be some switching back um, as folks think more deeply about things like network, the fulfillment of supplemental benefits, overall service um, and delivery of product. So, you know, I, I guess the headline is that it's, it is a very aggressive marketplace this year. Um, we feel like we're positioned really well um, for 25 and 26 and how we've priced. Um, and very pleased with um, what we've done so far and excited about um, our opportunity once again to have a really great growth and selling period from February to December of 24. 
Right, Tim, thanks so much. Uh, last question, please, operator. We'll go next to Gary Taylor with Cowan. Hi, good morning. Um, most of my questions have been asked. Um, I'll throw this one at you. We've been seeing more articles about health systems dropping their MA contracts. Some of those articles cite United. I know historically most of these types of contracts that, you know, uh, conflicts um, that make the press historically ultimately come to terms. So I'm just wondering, is, is this a just a media thread or do you think there's something more measurable uh, happening here with your health system partners. Hey, Gary, thanks so much. Let me ask Brian to respond to that. Hey, Gary, thanks for the question. I would say overall the disruptions that we see in the market this year are, I would say, at or even lower than historical comparisons on average, leaving 2023. I will say, though, that any disruption for our consumers is too much. They come to rely on an in-network provider relationship. They have a coverage expectation from their health plan. So we obviously want to avoid that type of network disruption. And we, however, do need to balance that ambition with affordability. Now, as we speak specifically to the Medicare Advantage space, we did have some deals that came down to the wire. And I do think that had some impact on AEP. And again, going to Tim's commentary around our confidence February forward where we have those deals intact, I think you'll see that response in our growth as well. But again, on average, really not much change overall compared to historical periods on disruptions. Yeah, no, that's well said, Brian. And I think, you know, obviously, uh, Gary, we, we, you know, what, what you're seeing here is, is we're working on really hard on behalf of our clients, on behalf of patients, on behalf of government to make sure that we're getting the very best cost uh, associated for the care delivered, and it's important that that negotiation is is robust. And uh, you know, the good news is that the overwhelming majority uh, get resolved. We 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 really uh, don't like to see disruption happen. Unfortunately, occasionally it does, but but rest assured, uh, you know, we're making good progress in this area. As Brian said, no no real kind of difference in outcome to what we've seen in previous years. Uh, with all of that, let me say thank you for uh, all of your questions. Very much appreciated. Um, and as you've heard, we're confident in our mission, focused on our growth pillars, delivering innovation that matters, and disciplined in our operations and in our approach to the market. And we look forward to delivering on our commitments in 2024 to our customers, patients, and shareholders. Very much appreciate your attention this morning. Thank you, and look forward to uh, talking with you between calls. Thank you very much. That will conclude today's call. We appreciate your participation.